Right, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for inviting me back. Could I um, start by just giving you a bit of an explanation about a, what I call a preacher's dilemma? Um, I don't know if those of you who are in the midst today have been up here and, and preached or maybe preached in the church that you've come from um, and maybe sought God for words to bring to the church. It doesn't come very easily sometimes, especially to me. I don't know, maybe it's me, but... Sometimes I can spend weeks trying to think, well, what, God, what do you want to say to the church this morning and use me as your vessel? So I start to really, by about four weeks out, I'm starting to think, well, I need to start thinking about what I'm going to bring. By about two weeks out, I'm starting to panic, panic setting in a little bit because sometimes I'm not hearing from God and God's not put anything on my heart. And it got to the situation uh, the other day where um, it was something to do with my bookcase. So I want to tell you about my bookcase, if I wouldn't, if you just bear with me for a second. Uh, it's the importance of citing your bookcase in your room, okay? So that's what I want to just start talking about for a second. And you can feel free to leave the room now if it doesn't interest you, that's fine, I can understand that. Uh, We have a bookcase in our bedroom. When we moved the house around recently, all the books from downstairs came up and they went into the corner of our bedroom. And we have a a six-shelf bookcase, it's quite flashy, isn't it, eh? From Ikea, and we managed to put it together, so we're doing quite well. On the top three shelves of the bookcase are our Christian books, and on the bottom three shelves of the bookcase are the secular heathen books, okay? Now, I was getting desperate a couple of weeks ago. I'm thinking, God, what do you want me to bring to the church? And I woke up in the, one morning and there was a shaft of light that came through the side of the curtain and it illuminated this book on the third shelf down. I thought, oh, here it is. This is what I'm going to preach on, Lord. Thank you for the, for the sign. And it, not only did it shine, but this book was, seemed to be resplendent on the shelf. It had this nice shiny back. So I thought, that's what I'm going to preach on, something on the third shelf. So I went up to the bookcase and I pulled it off. Dr. Atkins' new diet. <laughs> but it was shining on the back there. See all the shiny writing and there? I thought, oh, I'm really onto a winner there. So I, I begin to think, how did Dr. Atkins' new diet revolution book find its way onto the third shelf of my bookshelf? Because it should have been Christian books, Yeah. So then my mind started racing and at this stage you might think "Mm, it's possibly better to go to another church if there's an elder like this around. But anyway, I thought, well, maybe when it's a bit like Toy Story, maybe when you go to sleep, the books on the shelf all come off and they they go down and they talk to each other and things like that. And So I I begin to think, what's on the shelf then? So I went up there and I had a look around and I, I thought, well, maybe John Wimber, Power Healing. Who's ever read this book? Yeah, fantastic book. But on the fourth shelf down, I had the National Health Healthcare Guide. And I thought, well, maybe when, when it's all quiet, maybe this comes down onto the fourth shelf and speaks to this book and maybe it tries to convert it. <laughs> and then my mind started racing even more and I thought, well, what else have I got? And I've got, uh, if you want to walk on water, that's a fantastic book as well. But on the fifth shelf down, I've got Plumbing Guide. <laughs> maybe that's what's happening. But anyway, I woke up and I was ferreting through the bookcase and nothing came anyway, so um, forget all that story. That's not interesting anyway. So, right, what I want to talk about today... Um, and I guess if there'd be nobody else in this room today, I know this sounds a bit daft, but I'm preaching to myself today because the message I want to bring to you is something very, very personal to me and something about what I'm going through in my own personal life. So I'm going to be quite vulnerable today and I'm going to tell you what I've been going through and what God's doing and done in my life as well. So if you wanted to take a title, and this is probably the best bit of it, I'm quite proud of this, The Majesty of God and the Beauty of the Church. That's fantastic, isn't it? Oh, that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I thought. There's no substance, but it's a good heading, okay? Okay, I want to talk about 
the majesty of God, first of all, okay? But before I do that, this is a participation part of it, okay? That means you can actually call out. Now, I know we don't often do that in church, but today you have free reign to call out. I want you to tell me some of the things you think is a job role or a function of an elder in the church. So whether you come from a different church or whether you're in this church, just call out some of the things you think as an eldership we should be doing. Hang on a second, let me make a note of some of these things. <laughs> yeah, choosing the donuts, if that's fine, yeah. Yeah, that's a good start of a ten. Anybody else got any more sort of scriptural? Thank you very much. Recognising gifting, some got that one down. Right. Yeah, any more? Only having one wife. Only having one. She's just biased. Hey? There's always one spoil sport in the UK. Okay, one wife, yeah, very good, yeah. Anything else? Good, servant, yeah, servanthood, service, very good, thank you, Al. Thank you, oh, yeah, very good. Now you're beginning to flow, that's good. Spiritual guidance, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, fantastic. Superb. Now, one of the things... Yeah, one of the... Are you taking this service on me? One of the things I think is, is a job role of, of an elder, basically, and one of the things that I hold very dearly is the shepherding side of it. Um, and in Scripture, John 10, verse 14, it says, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then we're almost reiterated in 1 Peter 5, verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, but not because you must, but because you are willing. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, sometimes, I'll speak for myself, maybe I'm not a fantastic example to you guys, but that's what my heart's all about, trying to serve, trying to shepherd people in this flock. And what I want to try and do today, if I possibly can, and I hope this will, this will come through, is I want to build faith, I want to prepare people in this room that, that may be going through some of the things I've been going through over the last months, and I, thirdly, I want to encourage you and it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I want to make sure that at the very forefront of what I bring today, it's me boasting in what God's done and what God's going to do. Okay? So, as I said, I want to be fairly personal this morning, and I want to tell you about um, my mum, and I want to tell you about my daughter. And I'm sure those that have been with in the church for some time now know that over the last sort of, six or seven months, um, it's been fairly traumatic in our family. My mum was diagnosed with cancer early in January of this year, wasn't a Christian, um, and uh, June the 4th this year she passed away. But I want to tell you how God was very, very faithful through that. My mum was an, quite an extraordinary lady, really. Not everybody got on with her, and I guess in some parts of my life I struggled with her as well. Um, she wasn't a lady brought up who was a lady that I guess uh, was very outgoing in her love for her family, but she was a very strong lady. And I suppose when I became a Christian I learnt a lot of the things that um, from the love point of view that I never knew before through the Bible and through those around me and through God. Uh, so I was really, really amazed, basically. Not amazed, I suppose, but when I went to see my mum when she was very ill, she could hardly speak. Um, I knew that I had to tell her about Jesus. I knew that I had to do that because there's no one else in our family that was a Christian that would bring the word of God to her. And sometimes when you're pushed into a corner on the situation, I don't know if this applies to anyone else, it's almost like, yeah, I know you've got to do it, God, now just give me the grace to carry this forward. Now, 
Mum and Christianity won't really go hand in hand, to be quite honest. She would often have a good old argument over it. Uh, but that never put me off, I suppose. But I knew that this was the, the moment that I had to get the gospel across to her. And I remember going down to her bedside at that stage. She was in a hospice and I phoned up Graham. I think I was probably in tears, Graham, wasn't I? And I said, you know, please pray that my mum hangs on long enough for me to give her what I feel is that she needs so that she can go to be with God. And praise God, he held on to my mum for about another three or four days and I was able to sit on her bedside and give her the gospel and although she couldn't speak back, she grabbed my hand and just held it and I knew at that moment that she had accepted what God had for her. And that just, just a sense of peace came over me at that stage. So God is so faithful. You know, in situations, I'm sure people here would agree with that, he's such a faithful and he's got the timing, our perfect timing in the very heart of his um, approach to us. So what was the learning curve from that one? What did I learn from that? It's good to build strong relationships, especially in the family. Um, there might be people here from fragmented families, mine's fairly fragmented, but build strong relationships whenever you can. Persevere at all times. Get the balance right, family versus church, and that's always a difficult one. Sometimes when you're Growing a church such as this, you need to be at the church, but yeah, you've got family commitments and it's always a, always a tension, something we always have to work through, but it's really, really good to get that balance right. And it's often been said that it's God first, family, church and work, and sometimes we get the balance wrong and sometimes work comes first and God finds himself at the bottom of the pile and it's easy to get the order wrong, but please, you know, we need to persevere that. And I, I put down here as well, also, you know, in regards to my mum, the time is short, don't hold back, don't prevaricate or procrastinate. And I thought the most, one of the most dangerous words for a Christian is tomorrow. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll wait until I've done that. Then I'll do that tomorrow. Or, you know, it's not important now. Wait till tomorrow comes. And sometimes by doing that, we actually don't do ourselves any justice and we don't actually act out what God's telling us to do. And then not long after my mum caught cancer, I know you're all aware now that my daughter got cancer as well. Um, and... You know, what things came out of that really? Well, from Anna we saw a fantastic inner strength that God had put in her, a fantastic inner strength. We saw a humour in the middle of what was a very difficult situation for her. But also we saw her vulnerability, you know, to, to herself, um, to others around her. We also saw a fantastic rise in her faith as well. You know, she knew that God was her saviour, she knew that God was her healer from the minute that she got diagnosed with cancer. She knew that God would bring her through it. And so that was an amazing thing to watch. And as that unfolded through those six months, um, when everything was sort of a bit haywire, we just saw this woman almost emerging out of that situation. It was very, very um, touching for us to see that. Learning curve from that for me, don't ever give up on any aspects of your children. You know, those of you who've got children here or will have children, never ever give up on your children. However many times they ever let you down, never ever give up on them. God is also sovereign. Life is sometimes tough and we may never know all of the answers until we're with him in heaven. But that shouldn't put us off, push, push, put us off pressing forward. And the grace through those situations, you know, when Julie and I sort of looked back and looked in the situation, the grace that we felt, and that song says it all, it's unending, unfailing, unlimited and unmerited. The grace of God is just fantastic, isn't it? And I, again, I know that many people here can testify to that. And one day God just showed me a picture of what his grace is. And if someone said to me, describe what the grace of God's all like, I don't know if I could do that, but I could show you a picture that God showed me. And sometimes I've already said, we sometimes in life have to go over the hurdles, don't we? Because we know they're there, and life's not all about nice rose-tinted spectacles, and sometimes there are things that we just have to push through. But I saw this hurdle on a running track in front of me. 
But the difference when I was going through the situation was there was a nice slope going up on this side and a nice slope coming down the other side. So I didn't have to run at it. I didn't have to exert myself to get over it. I knew it was there, but God's enabling was both sides of that hurdle. And I just thought that, for me at that time, was such a helpful, uh, a helpful visual aspect of what the grace of God was all about. So when we came to the end of those, those two issues in my life, basically, I suddenly found myself in a different situation. And so I put down here, so why after all of that had happened, did I suddenly find myself in a place where God was hard to find and that I felt no response from him? Now you might say, well, how has that come about then, John? Because Anna's been healed. Praise God, yes, she has been healed. She's in remission. My mum passed away, but yes, she came to know God as her saviour. So that's all a plus plus, that's a positive. So how comes I started to feel that... I couldn't find out where God was, he was hard to find and I couldn't get any response from him. And I found probably about three or four weeks ago now, I had a crisis of confidence. Now, I don't know if anybody here can relate to what that's like. And I said I was going to be vulnerable today and, and I found that I've never ever had that in my life before where I wasn't confident in the workplace, the home or the church. I just felt my confidence had completely gone. Yet, if you look at it in the cold light today, my confidence should have been as high as anything. So then what did I do and how do we restore our walk with God? I just want to bring a few pointers out that have really helped me as I've gone through this. First of all, you need to recognise the situation that you sometimes find yourself in. That's really, really important. You recognise and you're honest with yourself. Yes, I'm in a place where I'm unsure of where I'm going to go from here, but the recognition of that situation is half the battle. As soon as you recognise that, you need to speak to your best friend or your cell group leader or... Graham or Matt or I or... But I spoke to my best friends, which is my wife. And husbands, if you're anything like me, do not go into the cave mentality. It's really, really easy to do that, isn't it? Because men, we're very... I don't, I'm perhaps not speaking to all men here, but certainly if I've got something on my heart or Julie sees through it straight away. We've only been married a few years. But she can see straight through it. All right, so I'm not very good at dates. She can see straight through it. She knows exactly when I'm not firing on all cylinders. So get it off your chest. Share it with your wife or your husband or your best friend or your cell group leader. Get it out in the open so then we can start to deal with it. Also, secondly, recognise that there are going to be times in the valley. And what I mean by that, there are sometimes seasons in our life when, for whatever reason, we find ourselves in this valley situation as opposed to being up on the sides of the valley seeing all around us. That's not a reflection of your faith at that time, but it's a recognition that we're in a spiritual battle for our very souls. Now, I was out walking the dog today, and it seems amazing. Yesterday morning, I was out at about quarter past eight, and it was really frosty, as yesterday was. Uh, but when I was going around the fields, the sun was just coming up, and everything, you could see everything for miles, and it was a fabulous day. I was out this morning at probably quarter past seven. It was still um, dark, and it was quite foggy this morning. Same fields. I couldn't see the other side. I couldn't see 30, 40 feet from where I was, basically. Exactly the same place, but somehow the situation or the fog had come in and just clouded everything around me. So sometimes we need to recognise there are definitely times in the valley. So don't let that put you off, but please do not have a valley mentality. Do not be a valley dweller. We can't afford to dwell in the valleys. We must push on and push up the sides of the hill and get back to where we were. I've just been finished reading a book, and it's not here on my bookcase, unfortunately, otherwise I'd show you the front of it, called Facing Up, and it's by a guy called Bear Grylls, who some of you might have heard of. He's a Christian explorer, adventurer, whatever you might want to call him, and he's the new, um, what's that other guy? He's the new Ramiers. He's the young Ramiers, yeah? 
and uh, he's just gone up Mount Everest. He was the youngest guy to ever climb Mount Everest. And he's made lots of points in his book, basically, about uh, how tough it was, how he had to prepare, um, how at times he wanted to give up. He'd never make it to the summit. And when he gets to 29,000 feet, which is virtually the top of Everest, you know, you can only take 20 paces at a time before you have to stop and just sort of get your strength back and then go for the next 20 paces. And really how he pushed on and how people were up there who basically had a serious altitude sickness who really should have gone back down the mountain, but they said, no, I'm going to push on because I've got this far, I'm going to push on. So it's a determination that comes out of it. So Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. So yes, there are going to be physical things in our lives that stop us doing what's, what we want to do, basically, come up against us. But actually, unbeknown to us, because we can't see it, we are in a spiritual battle. And the enemy does not want us to succeed. The enemy wants us to stay in this valley situation and doesn't want us to start getting ourselves together and start to get back up again. Number three, recognise there are times of just holding the ground you have. It's a bit like a tug of war. Okay, So, you know, if you're at the back of the tug of war, you dig your heels right into the ground, don't you, before anybody starts pulling at you. And sometimes we just have to abide where we're at. We just have to set our faces like flint. Ephesians 6 verse 13 in the Youth Bible says this, This is why you need to put on God's full armour. Then on the day of evil, you will be able to stand strong. And when you have finished the whole fight, you will still be standing. A promise, a tremendous promise from God about just abiding, just being, just persevering through the situation. Okay, point four. Resign yourself to getting out of the valley. You have to put a marker in the ground if you're in this valley situation. You have to say to yourself, yeah, I understand where I am, I understand some of the reasons I'm here, but I'm not going to dwell here, I'm going to push up the mountainside. And Isaiah, when he was speaking in Isaiah 50 verse 7, said there, therefore I have set my face like flint, and it's almost like a grim determination. Whatever the situation is around me, whatever is pushing me down, I am resigned myself to getting out of this valley. Fifthly, remember it's not failure or disappointment that shapes your life. It's the way you respond to failure and disappointment that does. Let me just read that again. Remember, it's not failure or disappointment that shapes your life. It's the way you respond to failure and disappointment that does. So, let's think of some of the practicalities involved then. So, if you find yourself in that situation or the situation I was in, what do you do? So, here's some of the practicalities. Pray or get others to pray for and with you. Sometimes when you're in a valley situation, if you're anything like I was or still I'm coming through there, you find sometimes it's difficult to pray yourself. I know I should be standing here as an elder saying that to the church, but sometimes it's difficult to pray. So, you need to get people alongside you who prepare to uphold you, get behind you, pray with you. Take faith-like steps each time you pray. So set yourself small, bite-sized chunks in your prayer life, not huge ones, not, Lord, deliver me from the valley to the top. Sometimes God will do that, but actually it's a journey up again to get where you want it to be. James 4 verse 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes we just don't ask God, do we? Don't no, we don't either, sometimes either recognise where we're at, but when we do recognise it, sometimes we don't even bother go to God and say, God, help me out of this situation. We seem to be happier dwelling in the valley than coming back out of it. Check your life's input. 
is a point to put down here. So rubbish in, rubbish out is basically what I'm saying. I think it's an old computer term, isn't it, when we're programming a computer. If you put rubbish in it, you're going to get rubbish back out the other side. So what's coming into your life? Okay, now it was um, very interesting. Uh, it's, it's very easy, I suppose, to get the wrong teaching, the wrong inputs. We pick up the wrong book, whatever. Uh, and also, it's very interesting to see those around you. Um, it was very interesting last night, for instance, watching the rugby um, with... Uh, Certainly, John Laval was a bit of a revelation in itself. Um, but also, at times like that, people come out with statements and you wonder, I wonder what Bible they're reading. So let me just make a quote from Val last night. <laughs> if you don't mind, Val. Lawrence Delalio can save the world. <laughs> quote, unquote. So, what is Val's input? I couldn't possibly tell you but we need to make sure that the input that we're getting, okay, is scriptural, <laughs> tested, tried. Good. Oh, no heckling, thank you. Right. Um, read uplifting materials. And it may not be you pick up the Bible, because that may not be the place you're at, but pick up a Bible, like a book like I've just read, like Facing Up, you know, a Christian background to going through a situation, determination, whatever you find yourself in, read uplifting materials, listen to wholesome music, get alongside men and women of faith to inspire you again. Really important. Who do you mix with when you're outside of the church? Okay? I'm not saying you need to be exclusively mixing with Christians. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. But I do say mix with men and women of faith who've been through it, who are on fire for God, that are going to inspire your faith as well. That's really important. Uh, persevere at all times. Don't give up. Never, ever give up in this walk. And then there's the beauty of the church. I just want to read you a bit out of this book here by Bill Hybels. I love this book. He's got such an insight into the church. And this is not where Jubilee Church is now. This is where, I guess, Graham, Matt and I would love Jubilee Church to be. We've seen the signs of some of this emerging now, but we've got a long way to go. We've still got L plates on, but this is the church that I would want to belong to. And he says here, there is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction, frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalised of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. And Bill says, still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organisation on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. That's the church. That's the beauty of the church. The church that we, with God's grace, will build here in Derby. And so we need to be built into the church. We were never ever designed to go through this life alone. I used to work with a guy when I first became a Christian. Um, I can't remember where I was working now, probably somewhere down in Sussex, 
And um, this guy was a fantastic evangelistic chap. He knew the scriptures inside out. When I first started to work with him, he inspired me greatly in my walk. He knew all the scriptures. He, in the workplace, he didn't flinch or, or pull away from speaking to anybody that came into that shop about God. And I was absolutely amazed by that guy. But when I started to talk about church with him, he didn't go to a church. He hadn't got the revelation of community. He went from the work situation back to his house, lived alone, and that was him. On fire for God in his own personal life, never bothered to share it outside of the four walls of the shop we worked in, but he was never part of a church. And I couldn't understand that because when I was still a young Christian, people said to me, no, get built into the church, get built into the church. So I want to say to people here, please, be built into the church. It's really important that you're not out there by yourself. It's important that you're built into the church and we can, we can look after you, know who's with us. Um, but it's also possible to be lonely in the church as well. And I've gone through times where even being in the crowd on a Sunday morning, you feel a bit lonely. And that's maybe myself, that's maybe the, the possibility that, that maybe some of us here only come on a Sunday and we don't get along to the Wednesday or the Tuesday cell groups. And that's where we do the building. That's where we build deeper, meaningful relationships one with another. So if you're in this church at the moment and you feel a bit lonely, maybe can I suggest it? It's because you're not understanding what the community of the church is all about in the midweek sessions. Once you start to get along today, you'll understand how important it is. So I realised with this sort of crisis of confidence that I had the balance of home, work and church. I'd got it completely wrong. I was trying to balance all three of those elements in my life and I was doing all three of them particularly badly at that stage. And that's, again, the beauty of the church because Graham and Matt and I sat down and, you know, uh, bless Graham and Matt, they've been fantastic support through this as have Sarah and Lou and many of the others. But they recognised, probably, that I wasn't doing a particularly good job and I was um, in the position of saying, no, I need to put down what I'm doing in the church for the time being because I need to concentrate on what's happening in my home and my work. I've got to put food on the table, I've got to look after my daughter and my mum at that stage and my family. And so, you know, Graham and Matt agreed I should lay down some of the responsibility. And that was right. That's the practical support of the church. And that's why it's brilliant being part of this church. But there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Don't anybody let anybody tell you there's not light at the end of the tunnel. Okay? Sometimes you hear the old thing about someone switched off the light at the end of the tunnel when you've left the room, whatever. But there's always hope. There's always certainty at the end of the tunnel if you're a Christian. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And then it says later in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is maybe the father that many of us never had. He loves us with an everlasting love. And I've just got this impression of God my father. He pushes to the front of the crowd to cheer us on in the race of life. He orchestrates the great cloud of witnesses that we read about in Hebrews. You know that cloud of witnesses? All of the great saints from the Bible that you and I read about, the Noahs, the Moses the Pauls, the Davids. I just got this impression that they're all in a stadium. Okay? They're all in the stadium and they're calling our names. As we run this race of life, they're saying, yeah, come on, Matt. Come on, Matt, you can do it. Graham, you can do it. 
found, well, you can do it. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And I've just got this impression, yeah, they're all for us. So if they're for us, and if God's for us, who can be against us? He lets us sit on his knee when there's nowhere else to go. We can feel the very heartbeat of God. And that's sometimes where we need to be a little bit more. So why do I sometimes feel God's presence strongly in my daily life and at other times? And when it's so easy to see God all around me, in the trees, in the birds and nature, why is it so hard to feel his presence, especially when I need him the most? Maybe this is the answer. Romans 5 verse 3. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And whenever I read hope in the Bible, I always put the word uncertainty. Another illustration. Funny, Graham mentioned this the other day, actually, and I'd, we had some friends up to, um, to lunch the other day, and um, sometimes we get some books out for the kids. I'm sure you've all seen this book before, Words Wally. We've had it in our family for years. All the kids... You can sit a kid in front of this for five hours, guaranteed. They won't want lunch, okay? They don't want to go and play football. They just want to find where Wally is, okay? So there's a little clue for you, mums and dads. And you can buy this book from me later. Sometimes, if you're looking through the Where's Wally book, and I don't know how many people know about this, but Where's Wally? He looks a bit like... He's a bit like that, okay? And he appears on every page. He's dressed in a red and white T-shirt. He has a walking stick and a rucksack on his back and a woolly hat and glasses. And sometimes he has shoes on his feet and sometimes he doesn't. But the object of the exercise is you look through this book and you have to find him on every page. And sometimes you get a scene like that, a beach scene, okay? Now you have to find Wally on there. And the thing is, there's other things on that page there that have got red and whites, like wind breaks or some um, umbrellas and things like that. So it's not just a case of finding someone with a red and white T-shirt. It doesn't work like that. And sometimes finding God can sometimes be a bit like that. Sometimes we have to persevere through the, the book to find where he is. Sometimes we have to persevere through life to find where he is. Sometimes he's well hidden on the page and we can't find his, pace, his face. And then sometimes you get to the back of the book and you think, I've done it, I've done the whole book. And then the last page says, oh, by the way, you need to go back to page one because there's a Wally on page one without any shoes on, have you found him? And Wally on page two without any glasses, so you think, oh, I've done it, but actually, you need to go back sometimes and look again. So sometimes, he can be quite elusive. And sometimes, in situations, God can be as well. But then when we find him, when we find God, when we find the Wally on the pages there, what joy, what excitement, what fulfilments. It's like Graham was mentioning the other day about the prodigal son coming home. And if you know the story, the prodigal son had gone off and he'd thrown away all the money, basically on loose living at that time, I guess, and he'd lived with the pigs and ate the pigs' food and he found himself in a fairly distraught situation. And then what happened? He suddenly thought, oh, there's got to be better. I'd much, much better go back and face my father. My father must have something for me to do. Can I go and work on his farm? But the father had a different aspect, didn't he? And when he saw the son coming home, he ran to meet him and he threw his arms round him and he gave him the best robe and he prepared a feast for him. And that's what it's like when we come back to God again. There's a sense of restoration back to the Father. And then at the end of this season, the season I've been going through, the season that some of you may have gone through or may have go- will be going through later in your lives, because let's face it, the enemy's not particularly original. He gives the same things over and over again. 
what will be the situation. But at the end of the season, when we look into the mirror again, we will see we will have grown in stature, in confidence, and in our love for the Father. After all, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith.